Welcome to session 12 of the Bible in a Year commentary. If you started this series on the 1st of January, then today should be the 12th of January. Today we'll be looking at Genesis 38 to 40 and Psalm 12. So far in Genesis, we've read through the creation of the earth and humanity. This all quickly turned sour with Adam and Eve's disobedience. Humanity's moral decline then led God to choosing Abraham and his descendants to be his people and model his plan to the rest of the world. We followed the lives of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, witnessing their mistakes and then God being faithful to them through it all. Jacob, now named Israel, returns to his homeland. His character was redefined through trials. He builds an altar to remember God's faithfulness. Rachel, Jacob's favourite wife, passes away, leaving him with 12 sons. We then read about Reuben, Jacob's eldest, doing what is right in his own eyes and sleeping with his father's concubines as a play for dominance. Esau, Jacob's brother, moves away and founds the nation of Edom. The spotlight then shifted from Jacob to his children, specifically Joseph, who has dreams predicting his own rise to power and brags about them to his brothers. They choose to follow in the footsteps of Cain before them by giving in to their anger and doing away with their brother. They sell Joseph into slavery in Egypt, which is where we pick up today. So let's look at Genesis 38 to 40. Just as things were getting good in the story of Joseph, we switch to Judah. This seems like a weird, completely unrelated story, but in the wider context of the Bible, it has two purposes. Firstly, when the 12 brothers end up becoming the 12 tribes of Israel, it's the tribe of Judah that comes out on top as the tribe that the kings come from. David and his descendants are all from Judah. Because of this, it's helpful to set Judah apart from his brothers a little with this story. But secondly, as we move even further forward with the history of God's people, the nation of Israel splits into the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The southern kingdom is called Judah, but the northern kingdom is sometimes referred to as Joseph or Ephraim, one of Joseph's sons. So mirroring the two future kingdoms, we have stories about these two brothers next to each other, which brings us to the story itself. If you've not realised it yet, these are very broken people that seem to be always making poor decisions. Judah gets married, has sons, and finds a wife for his first son, who is killed by God for his wickedness. At this time, the most important thing was to have children. And having children, you continued the family name after you died. So if a man died before getting his wife pregnant, the responsibility went to his brother to get her pregnant with a child. And to everyone concerned, that child would be considered the dead man's, so that his family line would continue. But Oman, the second son, ditched on his responsibility and God killed him too. We then have Judah also ditching on his responsibility to make sure that his third son remarries his daughter-in-law, Tamar. And so Tamar gets him back. While he believed that his daughter-in-law had been playing the harlot, we can see what he can't. This situation is all because he failed in his responsibilities, not Tamar. In this, Tamar is said to have been more righteous than Judah. And so we pick back up with Joseph in slavery to a man called Potiphar, but still being blessed by God. We should all be seeking the kind of favour that God was giving Joseph, that in whatever we do, we're able to do it well enough that those in charge of us can trust us completely. In turn, Potiphar's house was also blessed. We are blessed that we can also be a blessing to others. We see the evidence of Joseph's willingness to live faithful to God and his unwillingness to mess around with Potiphar's wife. But unfortunately, Potiphar doesn't see this and has him thrown in prison. But it's still clear that God is in control and has his eyes on Joseph 
because even there, God blesses him to the point where Joseph basically ends up running the prison. Finally, we see Joseph's gift with dreams begin to come back into the fall. Two servants of Pharaoh end up in prison and each has a dream. Joseph interprets them. One will be restored to his position, the other will die. And true to Joseph's word, it happens exactly as he said it would. Unfortunately for Joseph, the surviving servant forgets all about him and he continues in prison another two years. While the lesson learned from Judah is a little unclear, Joseph gives us a very clear lesson from this period of his life. Trust God by doing the right thing. Serve faithfully in every situation and seek God's blessing and favour so that we can be blessings to those around us. Because as we'll find out tomorrow, it's going to start working out for Joseph. Let's look at Psalm 12. This psalm is attributed to King David and fits into the category of lament psalm. It follows the similar structure of a chiasm where the passage reflects itself in the same way that we've seen with other psalms. Here is a summary of the structure, but I would recommend checking out the written version of this commentary in the description to see the structure properly. So we start with verse 1, there is no godly people left. Then in verse 2, people speak falsely. In verses 3 to 4, God condemns the wicked. Then in verse 5, God vindicates the righteous. Verses 6 to 7, God's words are pure and truthful. And verse 8, the wicked continue to wander freely. The psalmist brings his complaint to God. It seems that there is not a single godly person left on earth. It's like they've all just disappeared. To the psalmist, it looks like everyone around them lies. They mean one thing and they say another. This leads to the psalmist's big ask of God. Condemn the wicked for their evil. Cut off their tongues so they can no longer lie. For those that think this is a bit gruesome, it's important to remember this is poetry. The writer is using figurative language to ask God to stop people lying. Having brought this request, the psalmist now declares his trust in God. Just as he has asked God to condemn the wicked, God will also vindicate the righteous. Those that are poor and needy will be protected and made safe. In contrast with the lying words of man, God's words are like silver. They are faithful and true. They can be trusted. God is not a liar and always keeps his word. But then the psalmist ends by slipping back into focusing on this problem. Just as all the godly seem to have disappeared, the wicked seem to be all around. 